Well, happy new year. Did you all have a great new year? Zion, how was your new year? Good? Fantastic. That's awesome. Wonderful to see everybody. And if you're joining us online, God bless you. Will you turn in your Bible with me, please, to Psalm 31. Psalm 31. We are excited as well for another announcement for you about a family camp coming up. We're scheduled for June the 21st right now. So we'll have a bunch of information coming out about that next week so you can mark your calendars. Uh, this was our postponed family camp from last year. So if you've never heard the words family camp before, um, we used to literally camp as families and one family together in tents. I know, maybe we'll do that again someday just, just because. That's real sanctification right there. I mean, you get, you get into the tent stuff, Whew. It's, it's, uh, it's its own thing. But, uh, but the family camp is a time where we pull aside, you could also call it a summer conference or a family conference or a family time away. But we come together a way to get into the word and to grow in the Lord and to bolster each other's faith and to, to hold each other up and to pray for each other and all those kind of things. It's a great time. This year it's in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, which is not far away. And so it's uh, not quite halfway for the Memphis people, but our uh, beloved people in Olive Branch, Mississippi, just outside Memphis, the church there, New Life, is hopefully going to be joining us and coming up. And so it will be a really great time. So mark your calendars, end of June, and we'll have a bunch of information coming out about it next week. Uh, we're excited about it, though. I will tell you also, you know, mark your calendar, let's move forward, and we'll see also what happens. Because we've tried to schedule a lot of things that have not worked out, unfortunately. And we just, you know, I don't know. God is, God is good, isn't he? <laughs> Regardless, he's still good to us. He is, amen. Let's look at Psalm 31 together. As we are looking at this psalm, this is a psalm of David. And so King David of Israel wrote this, and he's writing this in a time of anguish when people are after him, in a time of his life where there's a lot of peril. And so we're going to just read it together. We're going to read the whole thing. It's 24 verses, so bear with me as we read it, and then we're going to Look at, uh, look at it together as we go through. Let's read. Psalm 31, verse 1. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Never let me be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul, and you have not delivered me into the hand of my enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. 
I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many terror on every side as they scheme together against me and they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me, not be, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently into Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of all the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me. When I was in a besieged city, I have said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight. But you heard my voice, the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful and abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Praise God for his word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you that you are so abundantly over us. Lord, we declare today that we are under you. Lord, we are under your rule, we're under your protection, we're under your grace, we're under your mercy, we're under your life, we're under your peace, Lord, we're under you. Father, thank you, God. Thank you for saving us. Thank you that it's by your name that we call out to be saved, it's by your presence and your power that we find comfort. Lord, there is no one in this world, there is no other source, there is no power, there is no force, there is nothing in this world. Lord, that can save us but you. And so, Father, we say, Lord, you are our salvation. We submit to you. We ask you, Lord, bolster our hearts, God. Lord, help us to feel again the presence of your wings around us. Lord, help us to feel the knowledge and the knowing of you being close to us in every way. Lord, as we feel like enemies are surrounding us, and maybe they are surrounding us, Lord, preserve us because you are our salvation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I was one time on a mission out in Baghdad and driving through the streets, and um, we, were, we were out patrolling an area, and we were going to a police station. And so uh, at the top of the police station, there's a wall, and it's a little short wall in which you could kind of look out, and there were other buildings that were taller than the police station. And so as we're coming down the street, uh, there were perils of many kinds, because there's only one way into the police station, and we went almost every day to check on everybody, check on the policemen, the Iraqi policemen who worked in Baghdad. And so the bad guys, if you will, always knew the route we were going to go because you had to go through that one entrance to get in. And so on this particular day, we are driving into, into the police station, and uh, we suddenly hear this weird sound. And so we come around the bend, and the you know, sound's getting louder, and there's a guy on a tall building shooting rockets at the entrance of the police station. And so as we turn the corner, the rocket goes whoosh, right over the top of the truck. And it explodes behind us. And so we whip into action. We get into the police station. 
Everybody's okay, missed all the trucks, everything was fine. But I'll tell you what, once we got in the police station and you reach for the handle of that door and you're getting out of the armor, it was such a strange feeling because you're just sort of on impulse. You're just going, you know, they say the training kicks in, you're doing everything you gotta do. But for just half a second you stop and you're like, do I really wanna get out of this truck? Do I really wanna, do I really wanna go into this police station? So of course you open the door and you go in and here's the funny thing, you find that inside it's much better. It's much better to be inside the police station. It's much better to be in the building. It's much better to be not on the ground. It's much better to be in a, a hard site instead of a mobile up-armored Humvee. Because that armor is not as good as you think. So it's much better to be actually in the ground and surrounded by people that you know are gonna help defend you. It's a totally different thing. Why do I say that to us? I say that to us because as we read, as we read this psalm and we finish out 2020, there's been this sense in the media, and we've all known it for a long time that it's not true, but there's been this sense for six months, nine months, that when 2020 ends, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be great. If we just get through this year, everything's going to be fine. And when 2021 hits, it's all going to be better. Even our Congress has helped try to make that a reality by throwing some money at the people. It doesn't make everything better. It's kind of like getting out of that armored vehicle and feeling the vulnerability of walking down the street, walking into the building to try to get somewhere safer. You know, our life is full of vulnerabilities. We're full of times and places where we feel isolated or we feel alone or we feel shot at or we feel like there's things that are exploding around us. Maybe they really are, literally, or maybe it's just things that are happening. You know, sometimes holidays are great and sometimes holidays can be really stressful times because families don't always get along, do they? And in the midst of that, there's loss and there's things happening and jobs, you still gotta pay bills. It's like New Year's hits and then it's the beginning of a new year, but it's also the start of a month and your budget resets and you're like, oh, I gotta set a new budget. And all the things come crowding in on your thoughts and on your mind of all the stuff you have to do to try to be ready for the year. Psalm 31 tells us about a guy who is surrounded by enemies. You know, it doesn't sound great for David, does it? Even his acquaintances think little of him. They walk away from him. Have we gotten to the point where you're walking down the street or you walk into Deerberg's or Schnucks or Aldi or wherever you go, dollar store, and you walk in and everybody just starts, sort of parts the ways? They see, even the acquaintances are like, ah, oh, this guy. Just walk away. That's how David's feeling. Why is that? Because David's pursued. David's pursued by not only the Philistines and other enemies that are around and other nations that are attacking him, he's also been pursued by his own king, Saul. He's the rightful heir to the throne, David, because he's been anointed by God to take over from Saul. But Saul doesn't want a new person to come in. He wants his family to rule. He wants to rule. And so he's fighting after David. He's chasing him. He's using his army to pursue him. Think about the treachery of your own countrymen after you. And David has become, though he's famous, though he's a person that everyone knows, a man of military renown, David is one who's pursued and you can't tell who's your friend or your enemy. You know, that's one of the scariest and worst things about some of these areas and about uh, our nation, our history and, and wars that we fought and things. If you can't tell who the good guys are and who the bad guys are, 
If you can't tell who your friends are and who the enemies are, it's really a dangerous place. You know, I, I used to have a, an interpreter that I worked with, and um, I was pretty sure that he was working for the bad guys. And so he, would, he had a cell phone that he could use when we were in, in Iraq, and so he would every once in a while switch out the SIM card to call his family and uh, tell them things, and I'd kind of listen in with another interpreter to see what he was saying, just because I, I don't have any evidence that this guy's a bad guy. But there's something about him that was just a little off. And so we would uh, go on missions together, and we'd drive around, and his name was Max. And I would say, hey, Max, are you a good guy? And oh, Mr., Mr., yeah, yeah, of course I am, of course I am. And then we would get into situations, and bad things would happen, and I never knew if I could quite trust Max. You know, the funny part is, I needed him. I needed him to say everything that I said because he was the interpreter. So if we were talking to the mayor of the town or if we were talking to a policeman or we were talking to a random person on the street, I needed Max to say exactly what I said, but in Arabic. And I always had this thing in the back of my head. I don't know if he's actually saying that. To make it worse, the word in Arabic for where is when. And I didn't know that at the time. And so I said, where are they? And he said, when? And I said, no, where? He said, when? I said, no, where? And it just went on and on. It was not good. <laughs> it was not good. But that's a weird feeling. It's a weird feeling getting out of the truck. It's a weird feeling not being in an armored place. It's an even weirder feeling to be on the street and not know where the dangers come from. And that's David's experience. David's a man who has people loyal to him, who are working, sacrificing their very lives to make David installed as king. And at the same time, the very armies he was leading before are now fighting with Saul to pursue and kill him. He doesn't know who to trust. So what does he do? He doesn't find armor. He doesn't even go to the police station where he can have all this great security around him, a hard sight that he knows that he can build up and defend himself. Instead, he cries out to God. And as he cries out to God, he's in bad situations. Can you feel the anguish, the angst in him as he prays? Can you feel how he's praying and he's concerned about all these things happening? He even talks about being besieged at one time. You know, being besieged means you're stuck in a place. We used to have an adage in the army that if, you, if it's hard for someone to get in, it's impossible for you to get out. So if, you get, if you're so stuck in that building that nobody else can ever get in, then you can't escape also. And being besieged is that same kind of feeling where even being in a place that's fortified, even being inside a place where you feel safe, suddenly can become just this terror to you because now you can't get away. That's what it means to be besieged. Is Another army would come around you and surround the town and completely cut you off so that you cannot leave. And then the normal tactic was, we'll just wait them out, because they're going to run out of food eventually. Because once they run out of their supplies, that's it. And if it, that cut, takes three months or four months or six months or a year, whatever. That's a terrifying situation. And so what does David do as he's besieged? He cries out to God. He says, Lord, I need you. Even in the cry of his heart, he's realizing that God is hearing his cry even before he is letting it leave his lips. David knows in whom he should trust. You know, we all know we should trust God. We all know that, right? Everybody knows, and we hear all the songs all the time about you release the Lord and he saves us and all this kind of stuff and let go of the control and all those kind of things. It's beyond that for David, though. 
You know, sometimes I, I've realized in my own life and just working with people that we can get so fixated on what's besieging us. We get so fixated on the problems that in our eyes and our thinking and our prayers, they become bigger than God somehow. We start to pray about this thing or this bill or this problem or this whatever, and it's so big that it consumes us. It's all we think about. It's all we talk to the Lord about. It's all that's there. It's so big to us. And instead, what David is doing, even in situations where he's besieged, even in situations where he's cut off, even in places and times when he's afraid and alone, even in times when he's totally vulnerable, even when he thought he was in a safe place, but now he's surrounded. Instead of letting the problems get so big that they're all-encompassing, he knows a God who's so big that he encompasses all the problems. He knows the God who's so big, who's so powerful, who's so perfect in his rule, that when he cries out to this God, the Lord is the one who stores up goodness for those who seek him. The Lord is the one who repays to those who in their pride and contempt walk in other ways. In fact, did you hear it when we were praying earlier, or when we were reading it earlier, this, the passage about how uh, he is trusting even his, even his life, delivering his soul to the Lord? He uses even the words that Christ used. It's incredible, isn't it? For into your hand, in verse 5, I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Why is he experiencing all these things? He's experiencing all these things because he is supposed to be the king of Israel. He's experiencing all these things because he's in a political strife and a civil war that's happening in his own country. He's experiencing these things because he's a military man and he's doing all this kind of warfare stuff and that's inherently dangerous, yes. But he also says in verse 7, I rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you've seen my affliction you have known the distress of my soul. You have not delivered me over into the hand of my enemy. You've set my feet in a broad place. And then he goes on in verse 10 to talk about how his life is still, still spent with sorrow. And years of sighing, my strength fails me. Why does his strength fail him? In verse 10, because of his iniquity. You see, David's a man who's not perfect. His bones waste away. He's a man who has not done everything just right. He's not a person who's walked into the place of those strong towers, into the places where he can find not being vulnerable, where he can find security and safety. He's not been the man who's walked in the center of everything that God has said and done it perfectly. He's a man that by his own iniquity is realizing that his strength fails him. And still in verse 5, he cries out, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. As I read this passage and I think about David and his life and his good things he's done and failures that he's had and all these kind of things, and I think about these words, into your hand I commit my spirit, I wonder why Jesus chose those same words from this psalm that he would cry out to the Lord on the cross. And it struck me that David, who's a man who's besieged by all these things because of his own iniquity, his strength fail him because he knows he's not a person who's perfectly lived that Jesus did perfectly live. That Jesus took these same words from a fallen and broken person who didn't do it perfectly. And though he lived perfectly, he hung on the cross, taking the punishment for our sin, and uttered these very same words from a person whose mouth was filled with iniquity, that Jesus, the perfect one, the innocent one, 
the one who had perfectly lived, the one who had no iniquity in him, whose strength wasn't failing because of his own iniquity, but his strength was failing because of our iniquity. Jesus hung on the cross for us. He died for us. Not because he was guilty, but because we were guilty. Jesus' perfect blood cleanses our imperfect hearts. Here's the incredible thing. David realizes that his trust should be in God, that the Lord is the one who oversees the righteous. The Lord is the one who dispenses goodness. The Lord is the one who judges the earth. The Lord is the one who dispenses his judgment onto the proud. He's the one who judges the idolaters. He does all those things. He also protects those who are righteous. He also gives grace to those who are seeking him. David is rejoicing in God whose steadfast love remembers all of his promises and does all these great things and brings salvation. That's what David is remembering. But David's also looking ahead to a God who's going to save him from even his own iniquity. That David himself cannot, cannot in his own power, stop the besieging armies. Though he's the greatest military man up to date that they've known in this nation, he cannot save himself. And one of the most incredible things that you learn is that sometimes in life, There are things that are so big, so crushing for us, and so scary for us, and almost every one of those things are outside of our control, aren't they? You know, when that first rocket shot past my my truck, it exploded, and everybody's panicking, and things are happening, and it was scary. And we got into the police station, and things calmed down, and it was the first time that I had been shot at with a rocket, but it was not the first time some of the guys with me had been shot at with a rocket. So I I changed units halfway through. So I would experienced all kinds of things, but just not rockets. And so we're sitting there talking, and one of my soldiers' name was Nystrom, and he was, man, this guy was like, if Rambo was a real person, it could have been this guy. He was a tough dude. And and so Nystrom is sitting there, and we had these uh, Iraqi cell phones called Iraqnet. That was the cell phone called AT&T. It was called Iraqnet, and you could get these cell phones. So he had an Iraqi cell phone, and it was, 20, it was like $20 a minute to try to call the states, but you could receive calls on it for like 25 cents a minute, which is amazing. And so it was a neat way for families to be able to kind of stay in contact with the soldiers. And uh, the base, unfortunately, had a button they could push that would shut down all cell phone communications. So every once in a while, it just they wouldn't work, but generally speaking, you had a, at least a, a link, right? So we're driving through Baghdad several weeks before I have my first rocket experience. And Nystrom is riding, and he's in the truck, and he's driving along, and he leans up against something. He had the cell phone in a pocket on his arm, and it, it shoulder dialed. <laughs> so his mom comes home from work that day, and she has a message on her machine, or on her cell phone thing. She's she still had a machine, I think. But she had a voicemail either way. And she opens up the voicemail, and she hears Nystrom saying to the other guys in the truck, and she recognizes his voice. And he says something like, uh, three guys walk into a bar, a priest, you know, it's one of those kind of things, and a goldfish. And right then she hears, RPG, RPG, boom, 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 explosion. Get on that 50, and all the, everything's going, right? And he has no idea he's called. And message ends. That's it. The message ended. So a week later, a week later, 
we get a message from the Red Cross, from Nystrom's mom. <laughs> Poor lady. She, she has sent messages to her congressman to try to find out what's happened to her son, because she doesn't know. And guess what? He's fine. He didn't, he didn't realize he called. And this was stuff that happens. So he didn't tell her about it. He just hadn't called her yet. So it had been about a week. We were busy. He hadn't made any calls home, hadn't emailed. She'd heard nothing. She's panicking. She's calling Congress. She's trying to find stuff out. So here's the Red Cross coming to our unit. We need to verify that Scott Nystrom is OK. His mom has to know. Could you, could you imagine the besieged feeling of that city? You're at home. There's no enemies. You're not getting shot at. But you don't know. And what can you do? For a week, you're just waiting. You're calling everybody that you can call. You're calling the government. You're calling everybody that you think can have any kind of interaction. Finally, the Red Cross is going to get some message through. And still, you're just waiting. What do you do? There's nothing you can do. And David knows that. David's a man who knows what it feels like to be really besieged, to really have the arrows flying at him, to really have fire around him, to really be stuck in a place he thought was safe, but now it's not safe. But we all know what it feels like to be besieged emotionally, to be stuck in a place we thought was safe and it's not safe, to be stuck in a place where we don't know and we don't have any way of finding out and we're not sure what to do and we're just sort of stuck. What do we do? And what does David do? He doesn't say, oh, Lord, fill me with more strength. Oh, Lord, give me bigger muscles. Oh, Lord, if I had more money. Oh, Lord, if you'd pay this bill. Oh, Lord, if you just repair these relationships. Oh, Lord, if you just give me solid ground to walk on. If you just show me which stock to buy. If you just tell me whether or not I should do this business deal. If you just kind of let it fall in my lap. I've been waiting. I just need you. God, do something. The problem is so big. Instead, he says, Lord, you're so big. You're so big that despite whatever it is, in all these situations, I've been besieged. In other situations, I've been ridiculed and I've been turned away from. Even my acquaintances don't want to have any kind of contact with me. But Lord, you're so big. Lord, you're the one who remembers the righteous. Lord, you're the one. Your character is perfect. You always follow through with what you say. You are the one I can trust. And so, Lord, rather than looking at all these things, I look to you. Rather than looking at the bigness of the problem, rather than looking at what's besieging me and trying to cast into that some kind of care and concern, I put all my care and concern into you. Because, Lord, I need you. Lord, help me to act wise with all these things. But, Lord, you lead me. Lord, you'll show me. Lord, you'll deliver me. And how does he do that? He remembers. He remembers. Can't you feel him remembering the times? I remember that time when I was ridiculed and you came through. I remember that time when I felt alone and I remembered your promises. I remember that time when I had nothing else to rely on, but you were there. I remember that time when I was besieged, but you somehow saw me through. You know, you don't usually survive a besieging, especially in this time period. There's no allies to come to him yet. And somehow he's using it in the past tense. I was besieged, and yet you delivered me. And then we look forward to Jesus, besieged on all sides, innocent, perfect, one who has perfectly followed the law, no iniquity to sap his strength. 
who goes to the cross for us. How can we know the love of God? How can we know the promise of God? How can we stand on the word and say, Lord, I know you? It's because of Jesus. It's because Jesus, who's perfect in every way, died for us and gave up his spirit that he would be our perfect sacrifice to cleanse us of our iniquity. He's the down payment. He's the guarantee. He's the only way we have life. And when we come to Jesus, we don't look at the problems as bigger than him. We see him, the ruler and the judge, over all the things. When we pray, we don't just pray just to get through the challenges. We pray to be close to him because he is our life. He is our salvation. How does David end this? He says, love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but, abundant, but abundantly repays those who act in pride. Be strong. Let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Not all you who know his deliverance now. Not all you who are already walking in the victory, although we are, aren't we? Not all you who have seen already the great things that he's done, although we have, but all of you who wait on the Lord. Sometimes it's hard to wait. And when we wait, we want to know. We want to know all the answers. We want to know all the things, don't we? What do we do? We wait on the Lord. As we come into 2021, we're expanding our hearts that his affections would be our affections, that we would do all the things that God cares about, that we would stand in the midst of his will, that we'd follow him in every way. We also need to wait on him. And that doesn't mean that we just sit and do nothing. I think of waiting more like a waiter. A waiter comes and they bring you things and they're attentive and they're doing things. They're also working and they're, they're, they're waiting on you. We wait in the sense of like sitting and waiting. But we also wait on God in the sense of serving him. Where we come before him and we, we see what he desires and what he wants. You know, there's nothing better than being in the center of his will. There's nothing better than knowing that you have served him and done well. And all the things in this life that consume our prayers are trying to dissuade us and besiege you so that you would think of nothing but them and not serve God. Everything. Whether it's relationships, whether it's financial, whatever it is, health, submit it to the Lord. Wait on Him. Serve Him and see what He does. How do we do that? Say, Lord, I trust You. I give You my life. Lord, I submit my spirit to You. Lord, you went to the cross for me. You gave up your spirit. You died for me. Lord, but you rose again. And so now, because of my hope in you, because I know you, because you're the guarantor of all your promises, Lord, I submit myself to you. Lord, you own me. You'll redeem me. You're my life. You, O oh God, have redeemed me. You are the faithful one. We're going to do that right now because we're going to come to the table. If you don't have the elements there, David's in the back here with them. But as we come to the table, we're going to declare our dependence on God. We declare that we have no nourishment in us except what he gives. We're going to confess our sins to him. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never met him, if you haven't submitted your life to him, if you don't belong to him, please don't eat this meal. But I want to tell you the good news, that the good news is that Jesus Christ died. He forgives us of our sins if we confess them before him. He cleanses us of all unrighteousness. He rose to life again. He paid the penalty for our guilt. And if we believe in him, the Bible says we're made new creations in him, that we are made righteous and holy, and that today is the day of salvation. So if you don't know Jesus like I'm talking about, then don't eat this meal until 
you submit your life to him. Then today, submit your life and we'll partake of this meal together. Because as we eat it, we're declaring his death until he comes again. As we eat it, we're declaring our dependence on him. As we eat it, we're declaring that there is no armored vehicle, there is no police station, there is no fortress, there is nothing but him that can really give us true security. And as we eat this morsel, we remember that his body was broken for us, and now he nourishes us and is our salvation. Amen? So let's take just one minute. We're going to take 30 seconds here. If you know that there's a problem in your life that you've made bigger than God, if you know that there's an idol in your life that you're trusting for your security more than him, if you know that there's a sin in your life that's holding you back, if you feel like you've received phone calls and you just don't know and you're besieged with emotion like Nystrom's mom and you are just beside yourself, today's the day to come to Jesus to know his salvation. This is just bread. It's really just a cracker. But as you eat it, you will know his peace. So let's take just a minute. If you know any of those things, confess them to him. He'll cleanse you of unrighteousness. Let's examine ourselves. Let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you said, Lord, forgive me, the Bible says that he will forgive you. Let's partake of the bread together. On the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it. He said that this was his body, that we should do this in remembrance of him. Then he took the cup after supper, saying that this was the cup of the new covenant in his blood, that we should do this in remembrance of him. Let's partake of the cup. If you're able to stand, just stand right where you are and just open your heart to the Lord. Let all of those problems, all of those enemies, all of those besieging things, all of those hopes and dreams, all of the angst that you have about what might come in the future, all of those phone calls that you got that have got you all worked up and take them and pile them up before God and say, Lord, I give you this because of your faithfulness. Lord, I want to present to you all the good things I've done, but Father, I need you, and I put all this at your feet to say, Lord, you know. You know all of my cares, all of my concerns. Like David, I want to trust you, God. I want to see you, Lord. And let his peace filter into you as we worship him.